Readers, and welcome to another edition of the Book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast. I am your host, Peter. Jalen Robinson and I have known one another since the very early 90s. Uh, we came up together in the scranton Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania hardcore scene. In this episode, we journey through a life filled with obstacles, music, and ultimate strength in the face of ultimate adversity. It's from that adversity that we ultimately get the latest iteration of her creative drive, Jalen's We Begin, a seven-song foray into a greater concept. It is a dark sci-fi epic that serves as an allegory as well as an autobiography. A little caveat. Um, toward the end of this episode, I had overindulged slightly. <laughs> and I think anyone with a trained ear for my voice can tell that I'd begun to slur a little bit. And for that, I do apologize. But that is par for the course when you're running a podcast at 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night. And uh, you're getting a little loose talking to an old friend and just trying to enjoy yourself. Uh, I don't believe the interview suffered from it. If it did, I'm very sorry, but that's just what went down. That being said, I think everyone should enjoy this episode. And with that, I give to you Jalen Robinson on the Book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast. So I, I, I'm trying to figure out when the last time you and I had laying eyes on one another would have been and i would think it, it would have been right after hans passed away uh yeah at, at the uh memorial at his funeral? yeah yeah at his funeral and then you guys had played a show like directly thereafter and harry um, harry myself and maybe like a half a dozen like nate a bunch of us were dancing you guys were playing young till i die by seven seconds oh yeah 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 yeah. and and legitimately that's the last time you and i laid eyes on one another yeah and that's a long time ago that's a long time ago and it's you've really done a lot since then like musically well yeah uh i I tried to do a lot since then. And I mean, I've, I've been in and out of bands, hardcore bands, po punk bands, post-hardcore bands, post-punk bands, uh, you name it for like, it's gotta be 25 years or so. If, so if it's, not, it's been a lot. If not better, because like, if we were to take it back to extend, you know, you and I were very close in age. You were in extend, we were in high school right you were trying to like the lot of you were were really trying to like not be the normal like pennsylvania uh like tough guy nonsense hardcore yeah. like 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 there was a lot of poetry there was a lot of a lot of emotive uh, without being emo because you guys really weren't extend was not an emo band no no but but there was so much like heart on sleeve uh of uh, uh, that that thrust of this is who i am fuck you if you yeah. don't like it type of thing yeah and, and your playing was always like this amalgamation of if like the edge from you two 
loved metal and hardcore. And, yeah. You know, and, yeah. And, I've actually heard something very similar to that. I've also been compared to a guitar player for 108. I don't know if you remember him. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, of course. Yeah. Uh, I guess our styles are apparently identical. You and Vic? I've never met him, so I, I wouldn't be able to, to say. You and um, Vic, Vic DeCaro? Yeah, yeah, Vic DeCaro. Apparently uh, our, our writing styles are, or were at least back then, identical. I would say I don't I wouldn't say identical. you you and Vic both had uh, an affinity not only for the aggression of metal, but the austerity of hardcore and the you know artistry of of someone like the edge or or maybe even if you want to dig deeper, like um I for I really forget the name of the guitar player of Echo and the Bunny Men. Uh, but like there, there's that writing that writing the offbeat that oh yeah that, yeah that you I love do that you do that really well and you always I, I, did I love that because if anything is always just four four timing the tempo never changes everything it just gets really boring to me really fast so I have to switch things up and make things more interesting for my own ears because if I don't. I'll never play it. I'll hate playing it out and I just won't do it. So it has to be interesting for me to play or I won't play it. Yeah. And you always had this, uh, it, it was very simple for you to kind of find that pocket behind the backbeat, you know, like you didn't play a normal rhythm, even in extend no. when, when we were kids, you know, like you found this way to kind of like lay behind the backbeat and make that the drive. So yeah people would like equate that to like the mathy like uh like don caballero of it all but yeah yeah in all, in all honesty like when we were young extend did something that even like our good friends option or yeah. or like like solace or the like they didn't yeah. they didn't quite dig for that and you guys did it pretty effortlessly and yeah I, like back back then um I was listening heavily to metal, um, like, and I mean like 80s metal, 90s metal, like Metallica and uh, Megadeth, things like that. And, um, but when I would write, it wouldn't sound anything like that. And I never sat down and decided, this is how I'm gonna write on this song, or this is what I want the song to sound like. I would just write a part and I would say, okay, that's, I think that sounds pretty cool. Then I would write a next part to go with it, you know, like first, and then maybe put a bridge and then a chorus and then put another bridge or something interesting to be able to get into the final chorus at the end of almost every song. Um, but I never sat down and said, you know, how am I going to write this? Am I going to, is it going to be exactly like the other songs? Do I want to go for a particular feel? Um, I've never done that. I always just sit down and whatever comes out, comes out. And if it sounds like a completely different song than I wrote the last album, that's too damn bad. It's just the song that came out of me. So that, I think back in, you know, in Extend Days, I was very young too, uh, well, very young, but I was also very uh, new to writing songs. So I honestly had no idea what the hell I was doing. It was just like... Um, Here's a guitar. I got a, my first guitar I got from my dad. It was a Lion. I don't know if you ever heard of Lion guitars. They were I remember them. Supermarkets and like, you know, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And um, I love that thing. It was purple. 
uh, it sounded like garbage, of course, and it couldn't take any gain, but uh, I loved it and it was awesome. Uh, yeah, and I just sat down and just started writing things. Um, another thing too, is a lot of times people, when they learn to play, I'm self-taught. I've never gotten lessons or anything like that. I just picked up, my dad got me a guitar, started playing around with it, and that was the end. I just kept playing. Um, where was I going with that? Uh, oh, like a lot of times when people first start learning guitar, they'll learn songs that they like. They'll listen to something that they listen to a lot or something that influenced them, and they try to learn that song and then play it. Yeah. I've never done that. I, I know very few cover songs, honestly. Like when you told me, like when I was out playing somewhere, if you're like, play whatever, I wouldn't know it. And if, even if you asked me to play an old Extend song, I might know one or two riffs or play a Stalemate song or play a Label the Traitor song or mm -hmm. you know, play uh, any of those old bands. I would not be able to do it, honestly. <laughs> and uh, to, be, to be honest with you, uh like for a lot of my listeners who are not from our area, you had this knack for being involved in pretty much every pivotal band to my life, like in from this area, because you went from, you know, option was a pivotal band as well, but extend, you know, then stalemate who we shared members with because Nate and Hans were also in a band with Jay Hudock and I yeah. around that same time, just a license. Yeah. yeah. And then, and, and then label the trader, like every band you were involved with became very important to the zeitgeist of the Scranton Wilkes-Barre area. And then I, I think there was a circle of us. I think, you know, there was, maybe a handful of seven or eight of us. And if we were in a band, those were the bands that were out and playing. Um, yeah. I never meant to be that. It's just, it's just kind of happened. You know, like any band that I was in always had somebody else from the circle or one or two from the circle. Um, because when we started in the early nineties, uh, there was no real scene in the Scranton Wilkes-Barre area. It was, no. it was very few and far between. We had to beg uh, venues to let us hold shows there, like the yeah. old venue called CC's. Everybody yeah. remember CC's and Muse? Of course. Yeah, that was a block from my house. Yeah. Yeah, we were the ones, uh, well, we were one of the first, anyway, to uh, get shows held there. Uh, yeah. When we first went there, Vince, Vince CC's, he still owes me money to this day. I think he owes like every band in all of uh, the Northeast, he owes them money. Yep. But um, we had to go there and we had to beg him to hold hardcore shows there because he said, no, there's no money in that. I don't want that. There's too many the rough crowds. I don't want anything like that. We do cover band stuff. And we, you know, people get drunk and that's that. So we talked him into letting us do it, but we had to do pre-sales. -sale like he yeah. would say, okay, sell uh, 35 or sell 40 tickets and then I'll let you have the show. So not even like guaranteed you can have the show. If you sell 40 tickets, I'll think about it. And that was one of the things. So like one of the first shows we ever did, we sold like 55 out of the 35 or whatever he wanted me to sell. And uh, it worked out. And I think since it brought in a lot more people than he thought, and he actually made money that night, that's when all of a sudden I think he started to realize, hey, I can make money off of these kids. Yeah. 
they're they're not 21 but i can make money off of these kids and um and, it's not like i started that i don't want you to think i opened cc's because i did it well, but i was no but i was there i remember like that tried my ass off to get shows held there like it was you it was like you guys it was dan engvaldson from plank yeah um there there was that whole like clutch of us there was like probably like two dozen what you guys had done for cc's is what uh, uh ed philbin and i and a group of our friends from pittston had done for the midtown arcade if you remember the midtown oh, yeah, arcade yeah I, yeah I played a show there i played a couple shows there but there was yes, one did a long oh gosh i don't know how many years ago that was i remember that uh there was no parking you had to like park blocks away yeah it was right in like a little strip uh like right on this main street there yeah to park at the kentucky fried chicken more than likely yeah yeah most likely oh my gosh that is so long time um yeah i i'm not gonna remember any specifics but i do remember playing a show there and i remember it was awesome you guys played with uh, seven seconds, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, probably. That That's, sounds right. That sounds right. That and, sounds right. You know, like I, I, I just have this recollection of, you know, like you, Chris Wilbur, and and like the whole group of us just kind of like having. Uh, we had this way about us where. You know, we we weren't dressing the part either, which was oh right. Kind of, it was interesting. Absolutely. It was interesting. We did not have any type of a of a costume to wear. Like no. a lot of a lot of kids. Um, I don't want to be the old lady that's like, oh, those kids today. I don't want to do that. But back in the day, we just wore whatever the hell we had. We wore whatever we wore to high school that day or to wherever, and then yeah. we would come out and we would play shows. Like we didn't have to wear all black, or we didn't have to you know, wear eye makeup and have our hair dyed funky and stuff like that. Not that that's bad. I think that's cool. No. Everyone should express themselves as much as they want. But back then it was just like, if you see old videos from back then, the Northeast PA shows, at least, it just looks like a bunch of, of drunk uh, high school kids and early college kids doing silly stuff together. It doesn't look like a show does today. If you go yeah. to a show today, it's a very different vibe than it was back in 95 or 96. No, there was, there was a lot of, I, I dare say love between all of us because oh, yeah. we, even, even as far back as like 89, 90, 91, you know, Dan Eggvoldson would work his ass off to get a show at CC's and all of us just, we were in high school. We were high school kids, junior high school kids spilling into these shows and just being, normal just yeah what was normal to it's, us and wandering in and that yeah. was as punk as you could possibly be in those yeah. days there wasn't a costume then right wasn't you a know. costume there wasn't a feeling there wasn't um, uh any kind of an agenda or any political alliance it wasn't anything like that it was just everybody got together there wasn't a lot of shows back then either like i said the, yeah. the, the scene was pretty small at that time in those areas so if a show came out, it would be maybe one show a month, two if we were lucky. So mm -hmm. everybody that wanted to go and see these shows all came out to the show, no matter who was playing. Didn't really matter. They were there to see their friends, to have fun with their friends, to smile and laugh and hug each other and just have a good time. Uh, and after that, like when the, the 
scene really started picking up and the shows kind of got saturated where there would be like three or four shows a week all of a sudden attendance started to drop because it was spread so thin Mm -hmm. um and i don't think it ever really recovered from that uh so it was almost like success was was an arrow you know yeah when the life of agony of it all kind of happened i mean like mina really like the whole group of them but mina really ingratiated herself into the scranton scene you know so what there there was like you would get life of agony playing at cc's but then on the same night you'd get lifetime playing at uh the mantis green in wilkes-barre yeah, and exactly. then proof rocks would have a show going on too and it got too big for its britches and kind of knocked us flat yeah which, yeah which, which was sad because i remember a time when like if there was like if new school was playing <laughs> Like, we actually played with New School at yeah. CC's yeah. at that, that one show. Uh, I don't know if it was Into Another. Uh, maybe Into Another played that show, too, or it might have been a different one. But it was such a weird uh, group of different bands to come into, and, and play. And like, like I was saying to you just a little bit ago that uh, now when you go to a show, every band sounds the same. Because if it's a yeah. punk show, all the bands have to be very punk. If it's a hardcore show all the bands have to be very hardcore it's never like a conglomeration of different original music anymore it just seems like every everything is very niche and i don't know i think that's a little bit sad like i want i want to go to a show and i want to see um like a really cool emo band uh open up or something and then have cannibal corpse come out and then have you know, new school, like a, a a new version of new school come out and rap hardcore rap and stuff like that. Yeah. So I like that. That makes the night fun to me. But hearing I'm, six bands all to sound exactly the same with essentially the same guitar sound, same style, it gets real boring real fast for me. Yeah, especially since like, you know, when we were coming up, you would get shows like Into Another New School or you know like do you remember the the local band to us rosetta stone who were almost yeah. like hippie-ish in their yeah. way and it was like and hippie rock weird like stuff yeah it was great though because like th- even though they didn't fit with what a lot of the other bands from our scene were doing it fit because it didn't fit anywhere else yeah and that, that was the be- point that yeah, was the point. It, it fit because it was all it was original music. Nobody was doing covers. We weren't just a bar cover band. We were just all people around the same age playing original music and having fun. I didn't care what the band sounded like or whoever we were playing with, as long as you know we had people to play with. That's all I cared about. I think that's what extended very well, though. And I just I, I keep bringing up extend because that was where it all kind of began. That's where you. I began for sure. That's where you began musically, and you guys never sounded like Option, like uh, Self Determination, like Burial Ground, like any mm-hmm. of those old, you know, like early '90s bands from our hardcore bands from our area. Even though, yeah, Burial Ground had the death metal thing going for them, but. Yeah. You, you guys were very melodic very uh it 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 called to mind almost like a stone roses of it all because there there was that lilt to the guitar that didn't quite adhere to bands like sick of it all bands like strife yeah you you know know what i mean 
anytime I was using, uh, I'd go out there. I was one of the only people, especially at a hardcore show, I'd be using chorus and reverb and mm -hmm. things to give my guitar just a little bit different of a sound to make it, you know, sparkle a little bit. And no one in a hardcore band wanted their guitar to sparkle. They wanted it to sound tough and cool. Yeah. And I was like, no, 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 it's got to sound really cool when I hit this particular chord. And then I would play that chord and they would understand what I was talking about. Um, yeah. Uh, back, like I said, when I was writing in that band and Extend, I mean, that's, that was technically my second band ever. My first band I was ever in was called Four Friends. And mm -hmm. that was, look, we had no idea what the hell we were doing. But, I mean, <laughs> It was a couple of my family members, and it was um, Ian. I'm not going to remember his last name. He drank. He uh, did the drums. Um, Ian Anderson. Ian Anderson. That, there. You yeah, go. he was in Feculence with me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He was in that very first thing. I don't even mm. remember how I I met him. Um, but yeah, that was a cool, that was a cool little thing that we we did for fun, but. Um, after that, that's when Extend started, and that's like when I, when we did Extend, that's when I realized, you know, hey, I really like this. This is something I want to do forever. Like I don't want to stop writing music. It was a uh, everybody needs that creative outlet. I think every once in a while, mm -hmm. and for me, it was definitely early on. It was music, you know, and I just said, you know, I can write ten songs in a week, and. Uh, because the stuff's easy yeah. and that's how I got my, my outlet. And I, I, I legitimately recall having seen you on multiple occasions. It, it, it appeared to me anyway, that you were almost like leaving your body. Like cause you'd be playing and you'd look yeah. up, you'd look up and you were gone. Yeah. It was like that's, legitimately. That's, that's the feelings that I would get sometimes like when writing that and I mean, uh, playing that type of stuff. Uh, I never actually left my body. So no, I don't, well, no, no one has to get scared. Um, yeah. But uh, <laughs> you, you, I guess when that feeling hits you, it's just, you're so into the music. It doesn't really matter what the lyrics are. It doesn't matter what's going on. It's just that feeling of um, almost euphoria that I'm on stage, I'm doing something that I love, I'm playing awesome music. And um, it's just, that's what it is. It's just complete, complete euphoria that will overcome me. And that's when I'm just, I'm just gone. If you tried to talk to me, I wouldn't be there at that yeah. moment. I would just not be there. I would be somewhere way in the back of my head. <laughs> it, it, it was really enjoyable to experience from an audience member standpoint because it's not as if you just stopped playing or something you were in it you were deep in it and it, it hearkened back for me even though it's so far from our scene but to watch like a, a Jimi Hendrix or someone of that ilk just completely lose themselves in you know the miasma of 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 spirituality with that lies within music and yeah you would, oh absolutely you would do like, that. It, it's in there. It's in there. If you tap into it, it'll it'll take you places. It'll take you, I mean, mentally, physically, emotionally, it will take you places. Uh, not a lot of people can tap into it. Um, you have to be really, really into what you're doing, and you have to really understand every single note and every single 
um, every every melody, where it's going to go, where it came from. You have to just be in there and really feeling the flow of everything to to get to that point to where everything just fades away. Uh, your fingers uh, will keep doing what you're doing, but yeah. other than that, every you, you're just not there anymore. Um, yeah, I mean, I would never compare myself to Jimmy. Uh, that would be insane. But uh, <laughs> he's uh, like you know. But yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, well, watching to, old videos of him. To watch someone in lockstep with something so shamanic and so utterly you know spiritual beyond anything that i could convey in language just we're all in this together we're all enjoying this everyone's moving in unison and you just i i would watch you go and i've seen i've seen you play enough times to have have a, a shorthand for it because i i i know it i know i know i know these songs i know what's going to happen next and you just you're gone yeah and a lot of times I would, when that would happen and I would be totally into it, uh, after the show was over, I would look down and my hand would be bleeding yeah. and I would have no idea how that happened. My, you know, my hand, um, I have a big, large cut here on my forearm that I got when I was little, uh, because of a glass accident. But anyway, um, if I don't wear a little band around my forearm when I'm playing. That's why you'll notice, uh, you'll, especially in the, the later years, you'll see me with like a, like a wristband, but up on my forearm. It's because if, I, if that rubs on the guitar too much, it will open up and it will start to bleed. Um, not gushing blood, but enough to, to make uh, a mess. And uh, sometimes that would happen and I have no idea what the hell happened or how it happened or why is my guitar red now? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I do remember seeing things of that ilk. And, you know, there was never any pretense about it, but I remember, like, one of my best friends, Brian Amershaw, whenever we would... I don't know if you remember Brian. He was from Dallas. He was in the I band. Rem Dallas. I remember the name. I don't remember him particularly. From Guardrail, the band Guardrail. Right, right, right. Uh, every time we would go to see you guys, he'd be like, oh, my God, Jalen's going to go for it tonight, and we're going <laughs> to... <laughs> do you think she's gonna bleed i'm like well yeah probably that's gonna happen yeah. she probably will break at least four or five strings as well throughout the, the set yeah I, yeah I was famous for breaking strings because you know i went a little too hard uh but but, but um it was so worth it you know it's, it's just that's how i got there so that's what wow. i wanted to do watching that attack was always worth it for us and you know you carried that over into every band you'd done thereafter in this area anyway. I mean, and there's so many, like there was never like too much of a hiatus for you either. Really? Well, what? There, there was a hiatus uh, right after I transitioned. Um, Cause as you know, I'm a trans woman and yeah. um, right after I transitioned, I thought, uh, that I was never going to play again. When I transitioned, I was in a band called Label the Traitor. Yeah, and, with Steve. Yeah, yeah, with Steve and um, all those guys, Keats. And uh, I figured, uh, well, when when I transitioned, the band uh, started breaking up shortly after. But that had nothing to do with the fact that I transitioned. Those guys were super awesome and super sweet to me. And they still are to this day. I love all of them. Um, 
Keats was moving away, which is why we were breaking up. But anyway, I got to play our last song as the real me, which mm -hmm. was amazing because up until that moment, many, many people did not know. Like there was rumors here and there that she was a little bit awkward and weird, but um, I got to play that our, Label the Traders last show as me. Yeah. Um, and that was, it was the most amazing feeling I think I've ever had. I was terrified the entire time, of course, because I was afraid I was going to get beat up. I was afraid someone was going to make fun of me. You know, we were on, we were on alert, just so you know, anybody fucks with Jalen, we, we go. And it's, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Well, that's well, awesome. <laughs> I did not know that, but that's really cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Everything was super cool that, that, that night. Um, everyone was uh, super sweet to me and everything. So. Uh, but anyway, after that show was done and the band was no longer uh, doing anything, I thought to myself, there's no way I'm going to be able to play this kind of music again. I mean, no one's going to want a trans woman in their band playing guitar because at that time, no one else in the music industry that I knew anyway was out or, or transitioning or anything like that. This was, this, was, this was 17 years ago. Yeah. Roughly. Um, and uh, so I was like, all right, well, I guess that's it for my music. I'm probably never going to play music again. Um, if I did, it would just be by myself. So uh, I went on a hiatus and I sold my equipment and everything. I kept my guitar. I still have my, that Les Paul, the Sunburst Les Paul. Yep. I can't get rid of that. That, that guitar has been all over the country with me multiple times. It's, it has my blood literally in there somewhere it's <laughs> in that guitar so I, I there's no way i would ever get rid of that um but i got rid of my amp i had the mess of boogie stuff i got rid of all of that stuff because i was like i'm never gonna need it ever again but then eventually after i transitioned fully and i was you know 100 comfortable with myself i started thinking Maybe I can start playing again. And at that time, Laura Jane Grace came out and she uh, transitioned and yeah. she didn't get lit on fire. So I was like, hey, you know what? <laughs> if she didn't get lit on fire, maybe I won't get lit on fire by playing music again. So uh, I started thinking, well, who do I know that still plays music? And I thought of Nathan Gray. And yeah. I was like, all right, well, I'm going to I'm going to contact Nathan Gray. So I bothered the hell out of him on myspace if you remember myspace yeah uh and we were talking back and forth we we had been friends for years um yeah and uh i just kept bugging him i was like you know find me a band find me a band find me a band and then finally he was like why don't you just come play with me with my solo stuff so i said okay i'll do that yeah. and that's what got me back into it so uh i'm very grateful for that um and since then, he has become literally my brother. Uh, his family adopted me. <laughs> so yeah. not legally, but you know what I mean. Sure. Um, so uh, we have our differences. You know, we, we had a falling out. Uh, I think everybody knows that by now. Yeah. But um, that's between he and I. That's, a, you know, that's our personal business. And um, everything is fine. We're talking, you know, uh, everything's good. I'd seen uh, I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't gonna bring it up and I'd seen that you guys were good so I yeah mean, I wouldn't blow up your I love you I wouldn't blow up your spot anyway but you know that there's uh that happens in 
interhuman relationships, it's totally normal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Especially when you're creating music, but to that end, you get, I'm going to grab the cassette. Yeah. This right here, which is in my opinion, a realization of everything, all of your output, which of course I'm intimately familiar with. I'm from our area. I've been, I've been following you since we were kids this is like th- the delivery of a promise that I'd heard in 1991. Well, thank you, know, you very much. Yeah. You know I, mean, I mean, like, because not much mid- has changed from my writing, you know, it's, it's very similar. It's gotten more sophisticated. It's gotten better because I got better at playing guitar, of course, yeah. but um, the writing is still there. It's still me. It's still, uh, like I said, I don't sit down and I think now I want to write, a this kind of a song or want to be this kind of a song. I just sit down and write a part. And actually what I've been doing recently is I've been finding um, drum loops online uh, because obviously I can't get our drummer to come and sit down and drum while I'm just writing random shit because like that, he, would, he wouldn't be able to do that. He lives like two hours from me. Yeah. Um, so I get random drum loops, put them through the computer, hook my guitar into the computer and then while the drum are playing I'll just start playing something and just keep playing and playing and playing until I hear something that I like and I'll hit record and I'll keep going um, and then I'll stop and then I'll do it again maybe a different drum loop different kind of thing and hit record and keep going and, and then I'll go back to that later and I'll find those parts that I wrote on those individual things and I'll say okay I think I can build a song off of this and that's kind of how, what my writing process is at this point. But um, I, the only similarity I hear is intensity, because in truth, you've you've really blossomed as a songwriter. You've become more you, and it's very self-evident within the confines of this record. And it's utterly powerful. To the point where every single song on this record, just there was no filter between, you know, your hands and, you know, like tape. It it felt very immediate, yet very metered, very exacting. What was the thank you? What was the that's the first thing I that's the first thing I wrote extensively. Um, or not extensively, but completely as the real me. I could, I didn't have to hide anything. I didn't have to pretend. I could, and I didn't have a boss. I didn't have anybody telling me, "Don't write this. Don't write that. Make that faster. Make that slower." I, when you have complete control like that, you can really write your, from your heart, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what I did um, to make that record. Uh, and it was, it was, a, it, it took me over a year. I started writing that probably, I don't know, maybe six months or so before I left uh, Nathan Gray. Uh, no, it was a year. It was about a year because like, I remember it was, I started, I, I decided I was doing it about a year before I left Nathan Gray. And then um, once that I was done with Nathan Gray playing music and touring and having to worry about that kind of stuff and being available all the time. I was like, well, you know what I can do now I can focus a hundred percent on this 
record and not have to only put 20%, 30% into it. Um, so that's when I really sat down and fleshed out all those songs and uh, was able to really get it going and get some help. I got uh, John Vogley, uh, the bass player for Option. Some option, yep. I got him to do the bass on uh, the whole album. Um, so that was amazing. And I got uh, uh, some more random people. I don't want to just start giving out names. If people want their names, they're on the record right now. But yeah. I got a lot of friends helping me out uh, to uh, to make that thing become a reality. Uh, and I'm forever grateful that they did. Well, the Vogley connection is obvious because he's such, he always had, he was always in the pocket, but funky, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Playing the bass up real high. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. His strap was never longer than like this. This no, is it. It was his no. strap. Vogley so, played yeah, mad high. high. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I mean, there are similarities to your guitar style from when we were kids, but this is more explorative. You know? Oh, yeah, definitely. Because, uh, like, I, uh, I have a boyfriend now. Uh, his name is Steven. He's actually playing guitar uh, now for the, the, the band that Jalen has become. Mm -hmm. And um, he is a metalhead, loves metal. Like, all he listens to is metal. Judas Priest and Iron Maiden and all of those, uh, those, uh, those metal bands. And um, so I guess like listening to that constantly and hearing it constantly kind of influenced me slightly. So like when you're hearing the album, you will hear a little bit of influences from a little bit of metal-y things here and there. Yeah. Um, but that's because of that. It's because, you know, you surround yourself with a particular thing you under no control of your own. You're going to start to emulate, emulate that a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he's really cute. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He's a nice he's looking a guy. You did. Yeah. You did well there. And yeah. you know, the, the, the metallic undertones only add to, you know, you always had a metal thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because like I said, growing up, I listened to all those those metal bands. I kind of went away from it uh, after I started writing and uh, started doing other stuff. Then I only listened to like post hardcore uh, emo, um, like a little bit of metal here and there. But it was always that kind of stuff, melodic hardcore type stuff. That's what I was really into, yeah. even though that's not that's not really what I write today. Um, but that's if you so were to look at my my little mp3 um player that i have that i put in my car every band on there was an exception of a few every band on there is from like 2000 to like 2005 maybe maybe 2008 i'll push <laughs> it a little bit but every band is like right around that era and that's when um i i feel music was at its best you know because it yeah. would not be now the music was at its best but it best reflected what I wanted to hear in music. Exactly. Yeah. And, and uh, so that's pretty much all I've listened to now. And it's sad. I, I would like to start listening to some newer stuff because I know there's some awesome stuff out there. Well, yeah. Uh, be be well is fantastic. Yeah. Like super rad bands are out there now and, and uh, I don't even listen to them anymore. So I'm going to start asking people to send me stuff. 
Well, I mean, I, I just named a band that's comprised of people in our age group or older. Be well as members of Battery and like Be well, yeah, Ashes, I and I know of Be Well. I don't know them. Hopefully, you, I'll get to know them someday. I uh, <laughs> that's one of the few bands that when I listen to them, I actually well up in the car while really? I'm driving cool. to work. And this record, I well up, I well up when I listen to this because yeah. it it has outside of the heaviness outside of you know whatever sonic ideas that are behind it there's an uh, like an emotional weight to everything that of course i know your story so there's a part of that that plays into it but had i not known it i think it would still affect me in the same way because you're it's gut level. It's very gut level. It's very no BS. Just it's an it's a journey. Thank it's, you very much. It's a That's what I wanted it to be. I, I wrote it to be that. I wrote it to be. I mean, it does have a somewhat of a story backing it. Um, yeah. It's 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 got, it's a concept album, and even the next stuff that we're doing is going to be a continuation of of the first album. Like we're going to be releasing three singles uh, in the next few months, over the next few months, I should say. The first one should be due out in maybe a couple of weeks, hopefully. Um, and it's a continuation of where that one leaves off. And uh, I don't remember where I was going now. Well, just the, the, the emotional impact and the story behind Oh, yeah, the, the, the story. Yeah, it's, it's the... Uh, like I said, um, it's a concept album. It's it's but it's a giant space opera. I, I am gonna soon. I'm gonna write a synop a synopsis of what the actual story is and what some of the words mean in the songs, so people can understand what that means. Uh, because sometimes I'll say something like, "I don't fear the dread" in one of the songs. That's one of the lines. The mm -hmm. dread is actually a ship, um, but you wouldn't know that unless you knew the story. Yeah. Uh, or a reaper. A reaper is a type of a prison ship, which is also a warship. And so uh, that song Reaper's Role is all about um, the reaper ship catching up with our heroes and is about to destroy them. Um, so that's what that song is about. Uh, but that being said, every song has underlying has a personal meaning to me as well it's not just the story every song every all of the lyrics also have personal meanings to me it's like a it's a double meaning yeah um, you know i'm glad uh, you're still a sci-fi nerd that makes me happy yeah, yeah oh yeah i i have to like i've been wanting to write a novel for years and years and years and i've had several ideas but every time i sit down I get to page 25 and I'm just like, I'm bored. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> um, so uh, I figured, you know what I'll do? I'll, I'll, I'll do it in music. I'll write music uh, to tell a story that I've been wanting to tell for years now. And um, in doing that, it'll, it'll make me do it and make me write out the synopsis of each album and stuff like that. And hopefully, people will start to understand uh, certain words and certain um, dialogue in the, in the, in the movie. It's not a movie. 
it'll never be a movie, but um, in the songs that people, uh, hopefully they'll start to understand that better. I, I, it's kind of fascinating though, because I remember us being kids, you were in, we were into the same things. Like we were both into martial arts. We were both into sci-fi and we were both into hardcore and that kind of like was a, a, a a tie that bound, but there's that sci-fi esque like vibe to this and the, the, the story and the drive, it never feels convoluted. No, it, it shouldn't. It shouldn't. Like I, I'm trying to make sure that it doesn't. You know, it's, it's all. It's it's a very simple story. Yeah. Uh, I'll probably end up screwing it up when I try to write it out. But um, <laughs> it's it's really easy to follow to follow on. You know, like the first, like in that first album, our heroes begin their journey into trying to destroy what is called the Seven Sisters of Pleiades, which is. Uh, I don't want to really get into this because we'll be here all night and people will start thinking I'm absolutely insane. But um, <laughs> the Seven Sisters of Pleiades are uh, an empire with seven people. They're not all female. They're just called the Seven Sisters of Pleiades. And um, they rule what is known as our livable galaxy. Uh, they Each of them own certain um, solar systems. And they're tyrants. They're, think of them as Vladimir Putin on a, a bad day. That's pretty much what these people are. They're terrible, terrible monsters. And uh, the rest of the people in the, uh, in the galaxy are trying to get out from underneath their thumb. And that's where this album starts, where uh, a death of one of our heroes in the story called uh, Lumen her mother get, gets killed by one of the seven sisters known as Raim, R-A-I-M. And so Lumen snaps and decides that she's going to try and do something. So she goes and tries to control or talk to a group of old, old, old soldiers called the Ghosts. That's in the, there's, a, uh, there's a song in there that uh, it talks about going to the Ghosts and letting the Ghosts do certain things. Um, and she goes to recruit the ghosts, which are few and far between, but they are kind of like, uh, think of them as like the best uh, fighters that have ever lived. They're generals uh, all in their own. Um, and she needs them in order to have a chance. So she has to convince them to come with her to begin this whole uprising, this whole rebellion to rip off Star Wars. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, in the end of that, um, it, it is a, it's pretty obvious because there's a little voiceover in the end where it says that they do end up killing Rain, um, but Lumen dies as well. And yeah. uh, but there's much more to the story. That's only the very first sister. There's six more to go, and not, it's not all good. It's not all good news. <laughs> um, yeah, I like George R. R. Martin because he kills off main characters all the time, and that's all kind of, the time. Yeah, that's kind of what I do too. So, I, I it's it's kind of great too because there's also uh, 
kind of Dario Argento of it all as well, because you, you get the uh, the sisters, the, the 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 I forget what Argento had. Like there were the the Lacrimosa and the like, like in Suspiria, in in yeah, uh, you know, like there was the there to have this kind of mythos behind what you're writing uh it it makes it all it it's biblical almost (laughs) yeah well it's not that biblical i mean i am uh i'm an anti-theist so well no no i'm not not as far as as, but (laughs) not as far as like theism but as far as like backstory as as oh yeah mythos yeah i have an entire universe built in my head that this thing goes in and uh, I really need to write it down um, because who knows uh, what can happen. Uh, I've already had two strokes in my lifetime because of a, of a medical, medical condition that I have in my bone marrow. But um, my friends know about that. And it's not really worth talking about. Um, it's under control now. Uh, everything is, you know, we're, we're, we're working on it. And we're, we're going through it. And we're going uh, gonna to extend my life as long as we possibly can. So uh, that has nothing to do with anything other than genetics. It's, it is, it's genetics. Um, it's a a very rare mutation in my bone marrow that causes my bone marrow to be overactive and it produces far too many blood platelets. Blood mm -hmm. platelets are for people that don't know, that's what clots you. Like when you get a cut, that's what makes you stop bleeding. Um, when you have, too many of them, um, one of two things can happen. Either they can lose all their stickiness and you become a, a hemophiliac, which means if you get cut, you can just bleed out. It never stops bleeding. It would just, uh, it's like a hole in you. Um, yeah. Or it can go the other way and they can stick together, stick to themselves because there's too many of them and then they can form clots and that's what happened to me. And I had uh, two different strokes because of that. Um, but right now I'm on a form of chemotherapy that is, uh, keeping my bone marrow in check and, um, making it so hopefully that won't happen again. Yeah. It's, it pisses me off because you're, you're my age. It's, we're too young for this shit. Yeah, no, I know. You know? I know. Uh, otherwise, I'm relatively healthy. I, I can't really think of too much that's wrong with me other than all of the bullcrap that I have to do with because of that. But uh, yeah. other than that, I'm good. Uh, and um, I plan on staying good for at least another uh, couple albums to annoy the <laughs> hell out of people. <laughs> it's, and people don't understand, like, it's stressful enough to transition to have that like you know you're you're taking hormones you're you're embarking on a a very very massive journey as it is and then you compound it with a genetic disorder that causes strokes i mean like that that's gotta be brutal it's it's terrible it's terrible because like i got to the point where uh, i was finally myself Everything was great, and uh, my friends, most of my friends accepted me. Um, mo- uh, my whole family accepted me from 
from what I know anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so I've had a nice support circle around me for since the beginning, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, so I have all that done. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, now you're happy and you're living the life way, the way you're supposed to live life. And here you go. We just shortened your life by 30 years. And it's like, what the hell? What the hell did I do to somebody to make this happen? Yeah. Um, and it's funny. Uh, the reason why we even found this, uh, I never would have found this. I would be dead by now if we didn't find this. Is because I went to go and get uh, breast augmentation surgery because yeah. I wanted that. Uh, and to do that, you have to do preliminary blood work and uh when they did that they come they came back and they said your platelets are way too high like what is going on um so i said well maybe it's the hormones i don't know maybe it's this maybe it's that so we stopped a bunch you know a bunch of different things but it just kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and that's how we found it so once we found out what was going on, then I was like, all right, well, now we have to get my levels to normal because I want my goddamn boobs. I've wanted my boobs yeah. for many, many, many years. I'm Your whole life. Without my boobs. Yeah. So uh, um, eventually we were able to get the levels the way they're supposed to be. And uh, I talked to the surgeon and the surgeon said we can go forward after I gave him my, my okay and everything. So. And that, that was that. And now, like I said, I'm just dealing with it. I'm just taking care of it. And everything is going very well um, thus far. Thankfully, because, I mean, I from my end of everything, it's like I've been watching you blossom, okay? And having known who you were since 1990, 91, and cheering for my this person that I've just had ultimate respect for wanting this person to succeed and to you know thrive and knowing that you know you went through strokes and things like that it it's it it obviously sucked for you but for me i'm like fuck why can't why can't she win yeah. <laughs> you know and you're still really positive and holding it together and i really applaud that because i don't know if the shoe were on the other foot i would be that strong in the face of it that, that's the thing though because uh, people feel like that until you're faced with it until you yeah. are literally faced with it and then you know it's 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 what happens you just you dig deep down and you you either decide to stop or you you move forward and you know my motto is always move forward like never let anything stop you, you mm -hmm. even if you have to only move forward an inch you're still moving forward. Just yeah. keep doing it. And that, uh, that's what you really need to do. Um, and that's what I did for myself. You know, I never let myself get upset by it. Um, I just, as soon as I, as soon as it happened and it was, you know, like we figured out what was going on and how to not fix it. Because the only thing that can fix it is possibly a bone marrow transplant. Mm -hmm. And that at this stage, it would be too dangerous for me to do that. So I don't even want to try and do that right now, unless I absolutely have to eventually. Um, but uh, again, I lost my train of thought. Um, that's what two strokes will do for you. Yeah, yeah, obviously. But, you know, just calling it back in, pulling it back in, you, you just, you handled it in a way that I don't think I ever could. 
Oh, yeah. Well, th thank you very much. But very I very strong, very strong. Your, well, you have to be strong in order to do to be uh, a transgender woman, uh, mm. especially in, in today's world. In the past, it's been much, much worse. Today, it's a little bit easier. Yeah, and um, you transitioned before anyone I ever heard of. Yeah, but when I transitioned like 17 years ago, yeah. uh, it, no one had even heard of what it was. They didn't know what it meant. Like I talked to my doctors, they, they didn't really understand what the term was or what it meant. And um, people would say to me, uh, I would say, you know, that I'm going to transition and they would say, what? So like you're a drag queen? And I'd be like, oh God, no, that is not what I am. Nothing against drag queens, but transgender women are not drag queens. No. A drag queen can be a transgender woman, but it's not the other way around. Um, so, yeah, like nobody really knew what the hell was going on. So forget about getting medical help back then. So I, I did everything myself. I was uh, self-medicated back then. I would get hormones from um, overseas uh I don't know how, how legal that was. It probably wasn't very legal, <laughs> but you know what? I don't care. Yeah. That's, you know, that's, that's way back when. Um, but that's what I did back in the day uh, in order to become me because I didn't, nobody had that kind of expertise, especially not in the Scranton area. No, no. I mean, geez, there's a bar and a church on every corner in Scranton. <laughs> and like, you know, you, you, drink all night and the next morning you go to church and then you leave church and you go back to the bar and you drink all night. Like nobody knows what the hell transgender was yeah. uh, back then. Nobody knew what transitioning was in order to get my chest surgery. I had to call around to many different. Hold on, Alexis, tell me something. Turn down the thermostat. She told me to turn down the thermostat. Alexis. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. Uh, I had to call several different uh, surgeons at that time because nobody did that kind of surgery that I knew of. And every time I would call a plastic surgeon, they would say, no, I'm sorry, we don't do that. No, I'm sorry, we don't do that. Um, and the, the hardest part, of course, where they would say, no, we don't do that on men. No, we don't do that on, on male chests and things like that. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, what are you talking about? It's the same procedure. Do yeah. you go through the vagina? Like, well, how is it different? So <laughs> Especially I since you're, you're not a fucking man. Yeah, I, I know. And, and I would get really pissed off at them. And uh, one time I was at work. I went, that's back when I worked at Mark's Tattooing. Yeah. Um, and uh, I finally called a, a, a doctor in Allentown. I'm not going to remember his name now. I don't think he does it anymore, honestly. Gerino uh, or Gerano, something like that. Um, he, uh, I, I talked to his secretary and I was like, um, I need to have this done. Um, I'm a transgender woman. Um, will the doctor do that? And she immediately said, no. She was like, no, I'm sorry, we don't do that. So I said, all right, look, you know what? I'm at my wit's end. I'm about to just scream, do me a favor and please personally ask the doctor for me. If you won't get him on the phone for me, please personally ask the doctor for me. And then no matter what he says, obviously that's what goes. But yeah. I'm tired of being turned away by secretaries. So I said, please ask the doctor. She said, okay, honey, I will ask the doctor for you and let you know. 
And then the very next day, she called me back and said, I talked to the doctor and he said, yes, of course, he will do the surgery for you. So that was amazing. It was euphoric, you know, for me to be able to have that done and to have to work my ass off in order to get it done. What year was that? Um, so probably roughly 15 years ago. Jesus. Maybe uh, 16, no, probably 15 or 14 years ago is when I had that done. And and to believe that that would be something that would people would clutch their pearls over. Yeah. I mean, oh, no. I mean, I, maybe if I lived in L.A. or San Francisco or one of those or, you know, maybe even in Philly at that time. I don't know what the scene was like here at that time. Yeah. But living in a small town or a medium-sized town anyway, like Scranton, you know, nobody nobody would, would uh, even consider doing something like that because it's something you saw on Jerry Springer. It was something that you saw on those talk shows that were all about, you know, uh, ridiculous things and uh, trying to legitimize something that people saw as weird and freakish and perverted and strange. Uh, they, they'll come kicking and screaming, but eventually you can. We are starting to make headway now, hopefully. What's funny is <laughs> I remember when it all kind of happened. None of us were really that freaked out by it. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, like, that's, like within that's our like, circle, like it was just like, oh, OK. Yeah, like we all. <laughs> We, we all are, are from the same kind of creed, you know, like mm -hmm. where like we all cared about each other. We always helped each other. If we see someone fall down, we pick them up. Someone needed five bucks, you loan them five bucks. You know, like that's yeah. just how it was back in the day. And um, it was never like the heart, like the, the New York City hardcore scene where like, you know, it was about you know, like being as tough as you can and that kind of stuff. It was never like that. It was just everybody was just cool. We were artsy um, kids. We were yeah, it was artsy, artsy kids. kids. Yeah, and a lot of them uh, were gay and bi, and they didn't even know it, or if they didn't yep. know it. They certainly didn't tell anybody. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so like when I came out, um, that was that was really hard to do. But when I did it, uh, I was expecting to lose everything. I I was like, there's no way I'm gonna be able to keep all of my friends and my family. Like they're all gonna hate me. Um, they're going to call me terrible names. They're going to never talk to me again. Um, so it was the hardest thing I had ever done, uh, for sure. Uh, hardest thing I probably will ever do. It's, 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 it's essentially, not literally, of course, uh, but it's like ending your life as you knew it 100% because no one will ever look at you the same ever again after you come out and you say this kind of thing. Like, I'm transgender and I'm transitioning. That part of your life is over. Um, if can you get some of it back, possibly, but everything has to restart from then from then on. Uh, you have to regain trust with people. You have to uh, re-earn friendships with people because they start to see you and treat you as a different person than what you were. Even right. though I've always been the same, I've been a woman since I was born. Yeah, I just didn't realize it until I was about nine or 10. And then, of course, I couldn't do anything about it because no one even knew what it was. Neither did I. I never even 
personally never heard the term transgender until I read about it on web TV. Do you remember web TV? Yeah. Yeah. Way back in the day, you get that little box. I don't even remember who sold it, but you get the box, uh, you hook it into your phone line and you hook the box up to your TV. And this little box is kind of like one of the first affordable computers that you could only browse the internet. It was like, it was just a browser that yeah. would come up and you could browse literally some web TV. You browse the internet on your TV. That was so long ago. But I found places like GeoCities had websites that were um, by other trans women and stuff. So I was like, okay, well, that's cool. I guess I'm not a terrible perverted freak because here's clearly there's more people that are just like me. So yeah. obviously I'm not that broken. So this must be some kind of a thing. Um, and uh, so it was, it was really nice to find out that I wasn't alone. But um, back then when I was very young, uh, and I wanted to transition when I was like 16, couldn't do it. Wanted to transition again when I was like 18, couldn't do it because of, you know, music and bands at that time. And then I wanted to do it again at like 21, couldn't do it, 25, couldn't do it. I, but I wanted to do it for many, many, many years. I just, the time was never right. It was either I was in bands that were touring or I was in a relationship where the girl that I was dating would never ever believe it or whatever. And I would care for her and I wouldn't want to lose her. So I would just keep putting myself on the back burner and say, it's all right. Just keep putting myself back and back and back. And then when uh, I hit 30, 30 years old, and I was like, you know what? I am not getting younger. I am not getting younger. I am not happy. This is not who I am. This is not who I've ever been. It's time for me to to do this. Either I do this now or this is going to kill me eventually. So I decided to do it. Uh, and I was, like I was saying before, I was ready to lose everything. I was ready to lose my friends, my family, uh, my job, which I did lose at that time. Um, but it was still so worth it because what I gained from it was much, much better friends because if their friends are going to stick with you through doing that kind of thing, even back then, you know that you can trust them. You know that they're going to be cool people. Um, family, some of my family were pretty wiggly about it. They didn't really, really, didn't understand, didn't really like it. But the ones that mattered were the ones that, that really did care and the ones that supported me. Um, and uh, after that day that I decided that I was doing it, and I told all of the most important people in my life, uh, I decided, you know, okay, that's it. Now I don't care who knows or who finds out. I don't have to hide anymore. And uh, I can just be me 100% of the time. And it doesn't matter anymore. And that was such an incredible feeling to know, like, I don't have to hide anymore. I don't have to go into my bedroom and lock the door and pray nobody comes to the door, pray nobody calls me and interrupts me or, you know, something like that. So I'd go in, into my bedroom, close and lock the door, and I would be myself in there. And uh, I didn't have to do that anymore. I could be myself openly and outwardly. And if people didn't like it, I don't care. I know martial arts. Go ahead. Try yeah. something. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Because um, I remember you were, you were absolutely tough as shit. <laughs> and yeah, for, like, furthermore, I like, 
I can't imagine in like, and I was so uncomfortable with myself and I'm just this cisgendered, normal, straight fucking kid who felt so uncomfortable in his skin yeah. uh, to be myself was brutal. Yeah. But for you to be yourself, I can't fucking fathom it. It, it just, to me, it just, when you had first come out, I, I empathized immediately and, and I didn't understand, you know, because I'm just, I'm, I'm just me. I'm just a normal dude but nobody could really understand it you know i I couldn't unless you're experiencing it exactly even then everybody every trans woman or every trans man is different so like their feelings might be different than my feelings they might feel euphoria where i feel dysphoria or they might feel um shame where i feel pride or vice versa like that's everybody's everybody is different um that's why there's an umbrella (laughs) the transgender umbrella so it tries to fit everybody you know there's plenty of people i have non-binary friends i have trans male friends trans female friends um i i have and obviously i have a lot of of straight male and uh cisgender male and cisgender female friends and um i'm so glad that it's it's a lot easier today for people to come out definitely in the more um, progressive areas, I shall say, like, you know, if you're in Mississippi and you're coming out, you're going to, you're going to have troubles that I don't, that I did not have. Um, But uh, it's definitely getting better now. And um, so as hard as it was for me, as hard as it was for, me to, to to push myself forward and live the way I was going to live, regardless of what I lost. Like I said, this is my third time now. It's not like a broken record. I was ready to lose everything. I was ready for it. It didn't matter to me. Luckily, yeah. I didn't. Luckily, um, most of what I had remained, and I was able to rebuild my personality with the real me up front rather than hidden behind. A suit of armor that I was wearing since puberty. I would have to wear the rage suit of armor. I would have to wear that persona as uh, someone that um, people could see, and that person could take all of the slings and arrows and all that kind of stuff, and I could keep my soft, uh, chewy, emotional center way away from the rest of the world. And then when I was able to take that armor off and throw it away, it's it was it was weird. It was terrifying because then my soft, chewy center was just out for everybody. Yeah. But it was also amazing that I didn't need that armor anymore. I'm gonna take two seconds. I just want to go check on my son. I'll be right back. Is that okay? Oh, yeah. yeah that's you. cool. Sorry, Jalen. That's okay. <sighs> How old is your son? He uh, he's three. I'm three. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be 46 and my son's three and my daughter's 21. Oh, that's cool. 21. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be 47 next month. Yeah. <clears throat> it, it, it's interesting though, because you would uh, brought up your suit of armor, that yeah. rage suit of armor. 
and you know that you know you put on this cloak to kind of protect yourself from all of us i think and yeah that, that pains me because i was part of that whole group of people that were around you and it it to me it sucks that we weren't we weren't i i i guess in the time where you needed us to be who we were ready for who you were and right. i know i know i wasn't like directly there but like i was in the periphery and no and i i know what you're saying but like it it, it wasn't it wasn't just that i was afraid of people i was also i mean i was terrified of myself like it's 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 embarrassing um and you, uh, like, I, I didn't know how people were going to react, you know, um, at that time. If I had come out when I was, you know, say 18 or 19, back when I was, you know, in Extend, and um, it would not have been the same. It would have been a completely different world. The world would have been, I think, a lot more cold to me than it, it did 16 years, 17 years ago. Um, so the time had to be right, I think, for me, but it also had to be right for the world to start to accept people for being who they are rather than what they are determined to be. I think everybody um, loved you very much at that point, though. And I, I, I would hope so. I would hope we so. We did. We really did. I mean, I'll, so many of us just had this reverence for what you brought to music and who you were because you were always cool to everybody. Like we all had the same opinion. Yeah. You know, I was James. always quiet. Like, uh, uh, for sure. I was very quiet. I was the quiet one because I, it was hard to talk through that armor, you know, that right. big ass set of armor. I, I, the only thing that it couldn't protect was who I was on the inside. And you could get a lot of that through listening to me and talking to me. So a lot of times I would stay quiet intentionally because I didn't want to um, let myself express myself or let my emotions come out because that would, in my mind, I was betraying what I was trying to do with the whole illusion of trying to be someone that I wasn't. I don't know if it was the fact that we were both martial artists that maybe you talked to me so much, but you did. You always like made a point. Hey, Pete, what's going on? Like, you know, yeah. we're this, that, or the, we we always like every show. I always had a dialogue with you at some point, and it was always good. But you know, the you you were you were always quiet as far as most people were concerned. Yeah, I, I've and, always been an introvert. I've always been a, I've always been introverted and um, socially awkward. But so the social awkwardness has since started to fade because I've been able to be myself. But back then, I didn't like to talk to anybody. Um, I only had my little circle of friends, which was you know like the the ten of us or maybe twelve of us mm -hmm. uh, that uh, I would talk to and stuff. But there was even back then people would be wanting to do an interview with me for a zine or something like that. And I'd always turn it down. I would say, no, I don't want to do that. Talk to somebody else, talk to the singer, talk to whoever. And I wouldn't do it. Um, 
because I was still too guarded. Whereas now I am not guarded anymore. Now I'm just 100% open. I'll answer any damn questions anybody has, as long as they're respectful when they answer or ask me. Right. <clears throat> but, you, you know, there's the, um, there, there's the owning yourself of it all. Like you, you finally come to the point where you don't really give a shit what anyone thinks about who you are. That I think if, if I were to be put in a similar situation, how could I possibly have the same, you know, like courage to be who I am in the face of other people having an opinion about it. Now, I don't know what that's like to, to have that kind of, dissension to have that so many people against what i feel to be natural to my own being and that and that's it's the exact opposite i have no idea what it feels like just to be a cisgender guy because i have i have no idea what that feels like i wish i did um a lot of people have asked me not a lot of people but some people asked me back in the day and even more recently if i had a pill i could take that would make me not transgender anymore would i take that pill and um i don't know it's 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 a really difficult question to ask if you had asked me that back when i was first transitioning and i was going through hell i probably would have said yeah just give me the pill i don't want to do this um but now after you know i went through all the pain and suffering and i mean i'm sure there's still plenty down the road but um now it's 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 made me who i am today going through all of that and getting those scars and getting those those the the calluses and um learning who i can trust who i can't trust who you know who's got who actually has my back and who doesn't have my back at all like that has formed me into a person today that is much 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 stronger than i was before i transitioned you know a, a 30 year old um fake man that uh pretended to be something that they were not uh that person is was never even real yeah not even the slightest bit real uh i think that's an unfair question to even fucking ask of you yeah to be be quite honest that pisses me off because would would someone ask me jalen pete would you take a pill to make you not a straight white <laughs> like fuck you like who it's cares like, no, this is who i am you know? this is just who i am this is what it is like it's second nature it's like would you take a pill to get rid of your left arm no <laughs> no, no. It's, yeah. it's, it, this is who i am yeah um, whether society likes it or not whether it looks good on paper or it doesn't for, you know, a bank loan or a job interview or, you know, a resume, uh, it, I don't care. It, it doesn't matter to me. It's uh, a stupid it, this, fucking this is question. who I am. Either they accept me 100% or they can go fuck themselves. And that it's was a stupid, my, it's a stupid fucking question in my yeah, opinion. It is. It is. It's, it is. It's a, it is a very dumb question. Like what would you, take a pill to get rid of your ears <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> like really um you know and and in 
light of all this, like I have a format to this show that I didn't, we hit the ground running. We've known each other a very long time. So it makes sense that we skipped over it. But yeah, my first question is always this. What is it Jalen that terrifies you on an existential level? Um, losing the ability to not only be myself, but to express myself in the way I want to express myself, because that had been deprived uh, from me or taken from me by myself for many, many years out of fear and hesitation and trepidation. and I would never want to go back into that cell again where I thought I couldn't say or feel the way I want to feel or fuck who I want to fuck or mm-hmm. um, write how I want to write just because the public or my friends or my family might think poorly of me because of that. Yeah. Um, Anything I say or do, hopefully people won't have a problem with, but I'm not the type of person that is going to hold my punches um, if a a Nazi piece of shit comes walking by with a Nazi flag, I'm going to kick the shit out of him. Um, That's just who I am. Um, And whether people think violence is never the answer or not, it's not going to change my mind because sometimes... Sometimes it's the fucking answer. Sometimes it's the fucking answer. I mean, we mm-hmm. fought whole wars over this shit. That's yeah. nothing but violence. Uh, so, yeah, uh, you can't change certain things in the world or certain people with words. Some Sometimes you just can't. You have to either wait for them to die out or you have to change their mind. And you answered a big question for me, too, because... Uh... Michael Malarkey, he is an actor. He was on the show Vampire Diaries, one of the major actors on it. And we were speaking about uh, when the whole uh, BLM versus the Nazi thing was going on when we were all locked down for COVID. And I'd said to him, like, what if we were to greet these Nazis with affection versus just striking out at them and he being uh as ultimately liberal as he is said you know what (laughs) maybe sometimes you just have to smack the fuck out of somebody yeah and i agree sometimes you just gotta smack the fuck out of somebody (laughs) and that's the way it is yeah sometimes you, you have to stand up for yourself uh yeah it's either you stand up for yourself and you um or stand up for other people, which is usually what the way I see it. I'm not standing up for myself when I stand up for trans rights and things like that. I've had it very lucky. Uh, there's plenty of women and men that had it much, much, much worse than I do and still to this day have it much, much worse than I do. Uh, I stand up for them when I do anything about that. Uh, or you know, when I stand up for Black Lives Matter or whatever, obviously I'm not standing up for myself. I'm standing up for them. So I'm doing it for other people, which is what makes me want to do it more. Uh, I never do anything for myself. I don't even buy myself clothes. (laughs) I just realized I haven't gone shopping in like a couple of years. All the clothes I own are like a couple of years old. I should start doing some self-love. Maybe you should, because I'll be honest, though. Like every time I see you on social media, you're always put together 
very beautiful, very just like the, to me, it seems like there's a lot of self-love going on and maybe uh, you're just, I, I think the, the self-love, <laughs> self-love for me is, is all inside. It's all in my head. It's all yeah. uh, working out problems. It's letting uh, stress go. It's, it's uh, getting past whatever the problem of the day is uh, and uh, just keep constantly moving forward. When it comes to outside appearance, I'm very lucky. I got my mom's genetics and I got mm-hmm. my mom's features for the most part. And then yep. when you're on uh, hormone replacement therapy for 17 years, it does some awesome stuff. You know, it's, there's a reason why trans women go on it and trans men go on it. Um, I did not look like this 17 years ago. I right. definitely did not look like this 17 years ago. If, if I mean, you know, you've, you saw yeah. me, but yeah. Um, if people saw old photos of me of 20 years ago, they would say, no way, that's the same person. That's, there's no way. You were a very handsome man, as a matter of uh, fact. And you became you, this buddy. very gorgeous woman that, you know, like the f- facial features, did they change? Yes, of course. But it, it, you were always a woman. And it, to me, it became very apparent very soon thereafter because it, it seems so natural. It didn't seem like yeah, a, a weird thing. It was just like, okay, yes, this is, this is to be a pretty man. You have to be a pretty woman. Let's yeah. get down to the I, brass. I always, always took care of, I always took care of myself a little too much back then. And people would always say, oh, you're doing some manscaping. And I would pluck my eyebrows and stuff like that. And I would try to, um, every once in a while, I would wear a little bit of makeup too. And, yeah. uh, sometimes I'd be caught out. They would be like, are you wearing concealer, like makeup? And I'd be like, no, shut up, stupid. (laughs) But of course I was, you know, um, but that was just me trying to squeak through the armor a little bit, which uh, got me in trouble, but it was okay. It was nothing I couldn't take care of. Well, no, I mean, let's face facts. Nobody was fucking with you back then. No, no, nobody would fuck with me. No. Um, No, no. I mean, not only because of the fact that uh, you could handle yourself through my martial arts training and um, Muay Thai and Jeet Kune Do and Wing Chun, like through all of that training. Yeah, that that built me up to the point where I could take care of myself if that happened. But I was also always surrounded by friends. Uh, yeah. like yourself and like the other guys and Neil and everybody. Yeah. yeah. And I knew like if I was out with one of them and some jackass tried to start a fight with me, it would be over in seconds. and I would never have to throw a punch. Yeah. You know? So um, that was always a really nice feeling as well to have your back, to have people take your back when uh, you never thought they were going to. So that was a great feeling. Yeah. Everybody like, <laughs> It's it's kind of interesting that the the love for you was always pretty much universal. You wouldn't run into anyone who would be like Jalen's name would come up. Everybody, oh yeah, love her. Yeah. You know, yeah, I, I I don't know. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I kept to myself for the most part, and I just I I, I uh, didn't really bother with anybody. I didn't want anybody to bother with me. Um, and I'm always really easy to get along with, you know, treat yeah. me with respect, treat me with love and respect, and I will give you 
tenfold back. You know, that's just how I've always been. Um, so it was, I guess it was just kind of easy for, uh, for, and that's what made life easy for me back then. It's just not being a dick like Steve Goldman. Yeah. That's a joke. Don't tell, don't tell me. <laughs> I, I won't. I won't. He will kill me. And you're you're in option right now, pretty much, right? <laughs> For my listeners, option uh, is kind of a ubiquitous hardcore band for the Scranton Wolfsbear area. They from what was it, the photo negative demo onward yeah. when we were like you and I were were the same age. We were pretty young. So yeah. that had to be like eighty-nine. 90 yeah Yeah. Uh, he's been ever present in the hardcore scene and he's been a dick since we were kids and we love (laughs) Steve anyway (laughs) yeah he has been a dick yeah but he lives in arizona now by the way yeah but uh so i doubt i doubt he can like you know come looking for me to yell at me um but yeah, yeah, he uh, he's been in a lot of the bands that I've been in. He's he sang in, well, he sang in Option, obviously. That we just Option uh, just got back together with a new crew, and I'm one of the new crew. We just released a. Uh, I want to say we put out four songs. We have five or six, but I think we only put out four uh, yeah. songs. And. Um, so he was an option. Uh, he was a stalemate. He was a label a traitor. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the bigger bands that I've ever played in, you know, touring bands and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's like he and I, every time we do anything musically, he ends up there. And uh, on my album, with the cassette you have, he yeah. happens to be on that album. I don't know if you saw mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I did. In there. Yeah. Um, because it seemed it seems wrong for me to do anything musically without including him at least something because he's been <laughs> together with me for like 25 30 years you know yep so uh, there's there's something to... about you with Steve and you with Keats that kind of <laughs> snowballed yeah, Keats, Keats is awesome Keats uh Keats was the producer of the uh, the first Stalemate album uh, and uh that was awesome that was like I mean, I'd always known Keats uh, before that, but that was my first time I really got to know him, know him, was, you know, when we're sitting in the studio for, for that long. Um, and uh, Keats is a great guy. I like him a lot. Uh, and Catfish Bullhead was pretty amazing. For- yeah, Catfish Bullhead. Yep. Uh, those guys. Uh, Maddie Gray was playing with us and Label the Trainer. Label Trainer was uh, first uh, out there and about. Uh, I haven't seen him in a very long time or talked to him in a very long time. Matt's still around. Matt's, uh, he's, uh, he's <laughs> playing in every band ever, as he yeah. always did, you know? Yeah, yeah he did. He did. <laughs> but th- there's something about our like group the, the, the like 25 or 30 of us that 
kind of were always ever present in this area in this scene that always did things that were important and prescient and really really celebratory like you you could never pick up one of the records by any of these bands and not have a great time with it mm-hmm. and and to me very importantly you were always kind of at the center of it every band that really mattered to me from our area be it extend label the traitor and we shared band members and i lost band members to the band you were in and i was still i understood it i appreciated it everything you did mattered and made sense to what we were at that time period there's something about what you do musically that resonates with the people from where we're at and i think that needs to be applauded and and pointed out and appreciated well thank you very much that means a lot to me it, we, it really does we really love you here my heart in everything i do and it's nice to hear that someone at least understood and saw it <laughs> we all kind mm-hmm. of really love you you know from this area there's there's something about like your jalen robinson's name comes up yeah everything she did was pretty much important to the yeah. point where you're ingrained in the fabric of what it is to be from this area and to be a hardcore kid. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty more people that did much more than I did, but it is no, nice you, to be you Stephen, like maybe like Dan Agvoldson, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah, there really was only a, a handful of us, but mm-hmm. um, did you go to the uh, that hardcore retrospective? Yeah, that was way back in the day. Yeah, they, they did it in Scranton, downtown Scranton, in that it's like an exhibit almost. Yep, that was fun. That was that fun. Was a good time, yeah. That was a really good time. I don't know. I that just popped into my head because I think uh, the anniversary of that wasn't that long ago. No, it wasn't. Um, and Hudak and I went, and we were kind of looking around, like, should we be? Should we feel antique right now? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I felt antique. Oh man, yeah. I felt antique. I mean, that was after I transitioned, so um, yeah. it was still it was weird to see a bunch of people there that uh, st- hadn't seen me, um, the real me. So that was a little bit weird, uh, but it was still fun. Still had a great time, and uh, it was cool to see all the old photos and the the videos and see all the friends again from back in the day. We should do that again sometime. That'd be I- fun. I really wish we would because, you know, if you were to look at the, most people wouldn't say, okay, the Scranton Wilkes-Barre hardcore scene, eh, how important is it? Maybe not uh, on a national level, but to the East Coast and definitely to the the, the upper East Coast, we were really a a close-knit, really, really loving and artistic scene you know yeah absolutely and we became scranton wilkesburg became a hub for every touring band to come through you mm-hmm. know like we always had places for them to play uh you know and back in the day you didn't really have that you didn't have 
towns that were open and welcoming to hardcore original music bands. Um, but yes, Scranton and Wolfsburg, but more most likely were more like music and like and Wolfsburg because they had home base and uh, a few other uh, Mantis, not Mantis Green, was it Mantis Green? Mantis Green was in Wolfsburg, yeah. Yeah, Mantis Green. Um, and uh, uh, what was the other one? Um, oh, the the home base. No, yeah, but there uh, there was another one though. Oh, um, oh God! It was a cafe, Metropolis. Yeah, Cafe Metropolis. Yeah, that was also cool. Um, plus all the fire halls, of course. But we always found yeah. uh, like a, if a touring band needed a place to play, one of us found them a show. One of us, yeah. if they, and if we didn't have a show that night, we would put on a goddamn show so that yep. touring band had a place to come and stay. Columbia yeah. or or Independence Fire Hall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were always helping out every, not only each other and our local scene, but as, as much as we could help out other bands touring because we knew what that was. You know, we knew like you're going out there with pennies in your pocket and you're coming home with pennies in your pocket and hopefully you're, you're not too starving and you don't smell too bad by the time you get home. <laughs> um, but it was all worth it. It was for the experience. It was just for, you know, the, the joy of being able to go out there and see all the people meet new people, see new cities, see new towns, um, and just just explore the world a little bit. What was it like for you then to come from our little microcosm and move to a place like Philadelphia? Oh, my God. Um, I'm still in somewhat shock about how big this freaking place is. Uh, I'm afraid to walk by myself sometimes because there are so many people and i'm not used to that it's like sensory overload uh i don't like driving downtown i don't live near the city i live in um west philadelphia right now yeah what uh, in west philadelphia fresh born prince. and raised yeah i was gonna say fresh prince is coming up in people's heads right now uh but yeah i live in west philadelphia right now um we bought a house a few months ago now and uh it's a beautiful house love it uh love the neighborhood um the scene here is really cool uh it's west philly's got its own little music scene um and uh it's really really nice but um it's crazy like it, i remember in scranton sometimes the traffic would be bad around five o'clock five thirty ish you know something like that like you're trying to get to wilkesbury you're trying to get home from Wilkes-Barre because there'd be many times where I'd have a job doing something in Wilkes-Barre and have to drive home at 5.30. So like, oh man, this sucks. It takes me an extra 20 minutes to get home. That's bullshit when it comes to Philly <laughs> because holy fuck, you have to leave your house before four o'clock because after four o'clock you're fucked. So yeah. leave before four o'clock and be well away from any city area until about 7.30 or eight o'clock is when the traffic starts to come down. If you try to go from one end of the city to the other end of the city, starting at four o'clock, it's going to take you an hour and a half to drive <laughs> eight miles, nine miles, because of how terrible the traffic is and how the roads are always blocked and there's always construction. There's always uh, some kind of an event going on. Or like, if I have to go downtown, I have to go through through Drex, uh, Drexel to go through the college town and stuff like the little college areas. And there's a trillion little kids running around uh, 
I call them little kids. They're all like 18, 19 years old, but you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, so it's crazy. It's a huge, huge difference from living in Scranton to living in a, a giant city with, you know, 3 million people. But, uh, you know, conversely speaking, living in this giant city, it, is it real like it, the redneck of it all? Because even though we're on the East Coast, even though we were the place where when people were on the Underground Railroad, they would spill into our state. So much has changed between then and now where, yeah. you know, the, 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 the headquarters of the Ku Klux Klan is in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and has been since the 1960s. It's crazy. Uh, like, I don't know how anybody didn't burn that fucking thing down by now. I, I, I wish we would have. <laughs> but <laughs> like truly, like as a man who's married to a woman of color and has a child with, oh, like I have a child who's a mixed race, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, how do I reconcile that? Like that we're in this place where bigotry shouldn't be because contextually it doesn't make sense here yeah but in all reality it's alive well and breeding in this shitty little corner of yeah. the east oh Coast. no i i know uh before i moved to philly i had a house in clark summit which is as you know right next to scranton and yeah. um come election time all the people you think are cool people and stuff they all have the trump uh, things up, Trump flags and Trump signs, and you're like, holy fuck, I'm surrounded by assholes. You know, yeah. like, I have no idea. Um, but it, it's it's pretty insane. Uh, but here, I mean, you're not going to find very many of that here. You're, yeah. you're just not, you know, you're just not going to find that. There's The last election shows you that. Uh, Philly went massively for Biden. Mm -hmm. uh, like it would have been any other way, though honestly but um it could have been a turtle with a d on it and philly would have voted for it yeah um but yeah it's definitely especially west philly um it's very liberal here it's very progressive here uh there's trans people non-binary people everywhere just like kind of walking around which is a weird thing for me because back where i come from that's you don't see that you know you see yeah. You, you see another trans woman on the street or in the mall and you're like, oh my God, there's a unicorn, you know? Yeah. And it's like, it's crazy. But like here, so I'm walking down the street in West Philly, you know, there was a, a an event called Porch Fest, which is just like a whole bunch of porches, like in these old school houses, uh, bands would set up and they would play on the porches. And there was a schedule that you can go to each house and see each band. So it was really, really cool. It's a fun little uh, daytime thing. And, um, I'm just like, whoa, there's a trans woman. Whoa, there's a trans woman. Whoa, there's another trans woman. Oh my God. How are they so how are they all here? Yeah. Uh, and it was a great feeling because I, you know, I didn't feel like I was weird or left out or or awkward. I was just like, okay, well, this is apparently this is the place where I should be because I think I'm gonna be accepted here more than I am in uh anywhere else uh in Pennsylvania. And the place that, you know, had born you and reared you. Yeah. I mean. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, like, 
yeah, like my circle and my family, of course, were cool, but but it didn't it's, have to go far outside that to get to people that would would have wanted to beat me up just for the fun of it. You that's know? that's a fucking sin, in my opinion, because this is what you had imparted culturally, musically, on the landscape of of what was to eventually become a, a greater punk scene in this area the love that you should have been shown was not imparted upon you whereas you moved two hours south and it it's a given yeah yeah that that pisses me off just like predicated on the fact that you know like we should have always been that it should have always been that way. We're not we're not in the deep south. We're not in the hollers of Kentucky or wherever. Life would have been much easier if that were the case. Right. Uh would have been so much easier for me. Maybe I could have come out sooner. Maybe I could have found that support circle that could have, you know, replaced that old rage armor mm-hmm. rather than, you know, just letting it uh just just keeping it on until but I was 30. Um, I'm very lucky though, because there's plenty of women, trans women that is, that don't transition until they're well into their 50s or even 60s. And uh, I feel terrible for that just because so much of their life has been, um, I can't say wasted because I don't know who that person is or what they did with their life, but just living as somebody else, as somebody that they were not, you know, I mean, yes, I did 30 years, but it's almost like, wow, I just said it like it was prison. I just, I just totally did that. And in the back of my head, it made fucking sense. It totally did. I I did 30 years. It makes sense. It makes sense to me because like you were trapped in a body that you didn't choose or deserve. And compounded by the fact that you had to deal with that in an area and around a group of people that probably wouldn't have accepted your self-determination. I find that offensive. Yeah. um, Yeah. But uh, like I said, no, things now are starting to get a lot better for people. Uh, it's not easy by any means, but it's it's definitely getting easier now with representation on TV and in movies and uh, famous people coming out like uh, uh, I'm not going to remember um, Elliot um, Elliot Page Elliot Page I could not think of his last name God damn yeah. sorry yeah. Elliot if you ever hear this uh, um, <laughs> yeah I. Uh, something like that happens and you know even seeing all the pushback that he has gotten is is ridiculous but if it was 20 years prior to this it would have been much worse i don't know if he would have been able to do what he did i think i you know what i think a lot of it has to do with elliot page before pre-transition was an attractive female you pre-transition were an attractive presenting male 
I think in all reality, they translate to one another, but to most people, they, they find it kind of jarring because, oh, I, I admired this person as this. So it doesn't make sense as that when in all reality, uh, you know, symmetry is symmetry. Okay. If, if someone is pretty as a man, they're more than likely pretty as a woman and vice versa. It makes sense. It's just about symmetry. It's nothing else. There's nothing, there's no gender really attached to that. If, if you think about it. Um, and I think that's really where the revulsion comes into play because, Oh no, I was attracted to them as this. So oh, yeah. now that now that they're that, I can't handle that. Yeah. I actually had one of my ex-girlfriends, you know, I had several cisgender girlfriends uh, while I was growing up pre-transition. And then after I transitioned, um, she actually had the balls to say to me, um, ironically, she had the balls to say to me, uh, I can't believe we dated for as long as we did, because now I look like a lesbian. And I'm thinking to myself, holy fuck, that is the, the, the shittiest thing I think anyone has ever said to me. Uh, number one, who gives a fuck if, if someone thought you were a lesbian? Right. And number two, what the fuck does it matter? Like, I, well, who cares? Like, how shallow are you to let something like that bother you? to you know where's your integrity where's where's your where's your strength to say fuck you i was not in the relationship because that i thought that person was male i was in the relationship because i liked that person yeah uh, and so what if i didn't know what that gender of that person was like it's really sad that um people are so caught up on genders and uh you know Boys have to date girls, and girls have to date boys. And then you say, "Well, there are gay, there are gay people." And then all of a sudden, it's like, "Okay, well, boys can date boys, and girls can date girls." And then that's it. Like that's that's as far as people will go. But when you say, "Well, this is a transgender woman, so they have maybe possibly different genitalia than a cisgender woman would have." Um, so now it's different. Now they're not allowed to date a boy because then it's gay. And if they date a girl, then they're lesbians. Um, it's, it's almost like it has its own special rules. You know, it's like yeah. if, if, if a person with a penis dates a person with a penis, that's gay. But if a person with a penis dates a person with a vagina, that's fine. That's straight. Yeah. I've seen that a lot of times, and it's like, that is not true in the slightest bit. Uh, genitalia should have no bearing over what your orientation is, you know? Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, it gets really deep. For, it, it's too difficult for me to even understand. I don't understand uh, a lot of the, the gender binaries and non-binaries, uh, and so I don't want to go off on a tangent on something I don't understand. Because people are going to look at me and be like, Jalen, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about, which is right. very true. And I will agree with that. I think it, it subtracts spirituality and emotion from 
the equation of what it is to be in an interpersonal relationship with another human being, though, when you limit it to the, the strictures that we've just discussed, it doesn't, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, for me to be in a relationship with somebody, be they male or female, whether they're cisgender or not, um, I have to, I have to love the person first, first and foremost, what is in their pants or under their skirt has no bearing over whether they're a good person or not. And if I can't get past the person that they are, um, say whether, whatever, how are they aligned politically or how they feel about charity or what's their favorite music? They say, Slipknot, I'm probably uh, turning the page. I'm swiping right on that or left or whatever it's called. Or if they say something like, you know, um, Hitler had some points. I don't care what's in their person's pants. Yeah. That person's a piece of shit. We're not going to date. You know, uh, I don't care how how attractive they are. So the person first has to meet the requirements of IQ and uh, morality that I have, you have to be an IQ and morality test. If you can pass those tests, I don't care what's in your pants. I mean, and in truth, like cisgendered male that I am, what I fell in love with about my wife before I'd gotten into her pants or anything like that was what was between her ears. And my wife is a very attractive woman, but before that, we'd had this very long drawn out conversation on the phone where this very, very intellectually superior woman expressed to me her love of the arts and her love of film. She'd gone to film school. I, 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 it just, I was so enamored of her. That's awesome. If I had gone to a place sexually where it, it, it was something that uh, was foreign to me. Would it really make sense? Probably not. I yeah. mean, well, like, at what point does it matter? Right, exactly. I mean, like, if she's a woman to her, she's a woman. Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna, I mean, if, if you want to, I guess the only time it would ever matter which is kind of goes without saying, is if you want to have babies together without adopting, I suppose then it gets tricky as to whose genitalia is, who has what genitalia. But other than that, if you're not planning on having children, you don't want children like myself. Um, right. Then what does it matter? It, it doesn't matter in, in the slightest bit. And it's, it's still so easy to is, have kids. Getting there, not the world. Um, certain areas are slowly getting there and starting to realize that, which is great. There's, we still have miles and miles to go. But like I said, things are starting to get a little bit easier. And the whole concept of male and female, uh, I'm hoping that they are starting to gray over a little bit because that's what it really needs to do. Because nobody, in my opinion now, Nobody is 100% male and nobody is 100% female. Everybody no. has a little bit of everything. Um, that's just who we are. That's how, that's how our brains are formed. That's, that's 
that's just who you know how how we be. I don't know. If you're in if you're in touch with yourself by any stretch of the imagination, there are you know echoes of mom and echoes of dad and echoes of aunt and uncle and grandma and grandpa like the things that we call from the people we love make up the sum total of who we are as people be it male be it female be it this that or the other so uh, am i a hundred percent one thing fuck no no yeah nobody absolutely is. not no nobody is no um and uh, like, it's just the whole, you know, the gender roles where boys have to be tough and strong and they can't cry and they have to go to work and they have to be the breadwinners and all that kind of stuff. And then the women have to be soft and feminine and they have to be able to take care of the home and be able to have babies and mm-hmm. they have to play with dolls and boys have to play with baseball bats and, to- and army men and stuff like that. It's it's so ridiculous. It's so that we ingrain it into our children from a very very early age, and they're babies. Um, not everyone does this, but most people do this, and most people from the past do this. Whereas, you know, if you know you're having a baby boy, everything is blue in the baby's room. If you know you're having a baby girl, everything is pink or yellow in the baby's room. Um, well, and it's almost like I'm, we start grooming them. In I'm in my son's room right now. This is where I film. Yeah. What color are these walls in my son's room? Yeah, that's awesome. Pink. That's awesome. Because he gets it's it's he's a he now just because he was born with whatever, but whatever he wants to be, that's on him. Yeah, well, it's, whatever him. he is, he will let you know uh in time. And, and you know, they, they they like he he will let you know. Yep, yep, I'm definitely cisgender. I'm cool yep. with who I am and what I am. Or he'll let you know that he's not. Uh, and I'll and go to... That's the most important part. And if there are any parents that are listening, if your child says that they are transgender, um, listen to them. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean schedule surgeries immediately. That doesn't mean that. That means no. listen to them, believe them, and let them figure things out respectively and safely of course uh and never try to make those decisions for them um they will figure it out much much faster than you since you have zero uh frame of reference as to what they are thinking or what they are feeling so it's better to let them tell you who they are than you try to make them be who you want them to be even if it feels weird or creepy or gross or what am i what is what is chuck on the golf course going to think if my kid is wearing a dress like Mm. it's not about you or chuck it's about your kid um and like in all honesty this generation my kids generation i i i have to believe that this is the best time even though things are crazy right now with with international goings on and you know, school shootings and whatnot, as far as identity, as far as self-determination, is this not kind of the best time for kids to be alive? Because yeah, I mean, it, it is. Uh, like I was saying, like things are getting easier. I mean, they have the internet at their fingertips, as long as they're not too um, 
sheltered or controlled, then mm. uh, they, they they have the internet at their fingers. I mean, imagine if you and I will like grew up in a time when we were like three or four or five years old and we we got our first tablet and we were able to play games on the tablet and go to websites and you know play games with other kids or excuse me um be able to read that way without having to go to the library or get a book and all that kind of nonsense mm. um and then as we grow up a little bit we're, maybe mom and dad uh or dad and dad or mom and mom allow us to start surfing the internet a little bit more like for you it probably would have helped you be able to become yourself a little bit more and understand more about yourself yeah. and for me it would have also done the same exact thing so i think now technology is uh it's it's a curse but it's also a blessing because uh it, it puts information on the table for anybody to be able to get it if they want it and if you know how to check your sources, always check your sources two sources deep, um, at least, uh, to get correct information. Um, it's incredible to me, too, because I have my, my uh, first cousin who's I love him dearly, but he's very right wing ish. And he has a daughter who has told him within the past year and a half that I am gender non-binary and i want right. to be known as this name and not this name and instead of uh railing against it and getting right wingy about it he took a different road because he loves his child and allowed his child to be his child and accepted it instead of getting crazy about it ergo that's, not that's amazing not forcing his child away from him and i not only do i applaud his foresight for not getting crazy about it and forcing his kid away but i, I applaud him for being enough of a parent to allow whatever this child's going through to come to fruition without animosity Without animosity, without guilt, without yeah. shame, without saying Jesus won't love you anymore, um, yeah. you won't get cookies when you die and go to heaven. Mm -hmm. You're not allowed to. You're not in. You're not allowed to go in with the normal people, like mm -hmm. that kind of terrible shit that they teach in their churches, um, especially the kids. So I'm very glad that that person has allowed, um, not even allowed, but just had the. Uh, mental fortitude and emotional stability in, in order to be able to oh like can't say allow because that doesn't really work but no, but um understand that their child is different and that child is going to make those decisions uh as long as they are being safe about it you know like i always have to add that because i'm not saying if your 10 year old uh child comes up to you and says that they are tra transgender that doesn't mean immediately that they are transgender uh no that means there, they're there's confusion there's confusion you know like yeah. every almost every boy in the world has tried on girls clothes one time um, absolutely or that, yeah that, that or, or wondered am i gay it's that, happened yeah, it happens all the time that doesn't mean that 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 anything it just means if they tell you 
by the third time or so, like second or third time that this is who I am, that's mm-hmm. when you have to start 100% believing them. Yeah. Especially as they grow up, you know, because uh, it's amazing when you can do that and how much better the child will turn out. Uh, I didn't have that ability when I was a kid because I was too afraid in the world. I don't think the world was ready yet. Um, certainly not, not my little world. Not not in not our really age group, well. no. No. Um, so I'm very glad that it is today getting easier for uh, for kids and, you... and even for parents because it's not an easy thing for a parent to go through either because not only does the kid have to go through hell and get stereotypes and get, um, you know, pigeonholed into certain things, the parents also get that as well. The parents, like other parents, especially conservative um, jerk-ass parents will say something like, well, they must have raised that child differently. They must have done something wrong. They must have broke that child. So it also brings shame to them um, in a way that doesn't bring it to the child. They have to go through a whole different hell. Um, But I can also see it happening with the parents. I mean, there's, there's even parts of the country where they're trying to legislate Texas is trying to, if you allow your son or your daughter or whatever to go through gender therapy, you are in danger of being, of committing a crime now in Texas. And you can, I I don't know a lot about it because I'm, so I don't want to speak too much about it, but all I know is that that is a terrible thing. It's um, the don't say gay thing. Yeah, it's it's that that type of thing. Um and it, it's ridiculous. That's other people trying to control other people's children. That's what that is. And just I can like, tell you just like I, they've been trying to control us for for many, many, many years. Oh, I don't like um drinking on uh Sundays. So close all the bars on Sundays. And it's like, uh what? You know, <laughs> yeah. or I don't like, uh, you know, doing uh, whatever. I don't know. It's getting late and my brain started to turn off, but um, uh, they, they try to control other people because they don't want to do a particular thing. And they think a certain thing is yucky or icky or weird. So they don't mm-hmm. want anybody else to do it. It's not enough for them to believe like they do and live how they do. They, they won't be happy until everybody else lives and, and believes the way they do as well. And, Which is I can, and that affects the transgender community greatly. It affects uh, the gay community greatly too, because right. I can yeah. tell you with a great degree of certainty that when my brother Gavin was born, he was gay. And I knew it when he was two. It was self-evident. And yeah. He'd gone, I'd watched this human being who I loved with all of my fucking heart and soul go through the motions of having girlfriends and, and, and living this life that wasn't his. And, and he goes through all of this and to, to finally arrive at what I'd known was self-evident that he was a homosexual. And I was so relieved when he came out and I, he got mad at me. I was like, I'm just, I'm so relieved that you're just not going against yourself anymore. He got mad in the time at that time period 
but ultimately he was like i'm I'm glad you said that because that's who i was yeah i did i didn't want my brother to suffer i just wanted my brother to be who he was and i thought that was beautiful and okay and completely fine and i think that ultimately to bring all of this into closing was how most of us felt for you when you said you know something this isn't who i am i'm just i'm i'm wearing clothing that doesn't fit me yeah and and that's what it really is i'm wearing clothing that doesn't fit me it, yeah it, the clothing didn't fit me my 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 face didn't fit me my chest didn't fit me my butt didn't fit me nothing fit me you know mm -hmm. i i hated everything about myself i refused to look in a mirror many many times because i didn't want to see that person looking back at me and that's um, not fair to you no no it's 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 not but i mean that's it is what it is it's uh it's how we are born um it's it's uh nothing i could have done about it uh even but, if i wanted to but now <laughs> but now but, that's but now yeah now yeah. i can change all that yeah. Now I've already changed all that uh, and I'm, I'm much happier now um, with who I am and what I am. I'm much, much happier. And I think uh, everyone who cares about you feels the same way because you get to not have to suffer the strictures and, 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 and the ideas that people place on you from birth or that it's just not, it's not a thing anymore. We're, we're, right. we're, we're different now. We're all different now. Yeah. And it sucks that we all had to be different for you to be different. Yeah. But yeah. that's, yeah, that's, that's what it is. That's what it is. You have to wait until the time is right because it's just, it's, it's, it, it would not have worked if I did it earlier. Um, and I don't know if it would have worked if I did it later. Who knows where my life would be if I waited another five years? I have no idea where my, I don't know if I would be alive because that would be within the time of, you know, this whole genetic bone marrow thing was kicking up and I could have died of a massive heart attack and had no idea I even had the condition. Yeah. So I guess uh, my boobs saved my life. It's <laughs> fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> So in, in closing, your boobs saved your life. And I have to say this record kind of, it, it, re, it reinvigorated uh, my love of what it is to uh, create hardcore music within the confines of, of people from where we're from and calling from the influences that we all come from, but having, you know, the, the conscience and, and, you know, the intellect of, of what your life was injected mm -hmm. into it. I think that's so important and so very, very crucial. Thank you very much. I, I very much appreciate it and appreciate you talking to me and, uh, you know, it, it made me feel really good. I'm sorry I had to cancel on you like 84 times. <laughs> Every single time I'm like, fuck, I have to cancel again. Or like I would forget about it. Like the one time I was out shopping, I was at Ollie's buying snacks or some shit. And I was like, holy fuck, I'm like 45 minutes from my house and the interview is right now. 
I, uh, it's not in my nature to be mad about something like that, just because that's, that's who I am. And furthermore, I hold you in a regard that I don't really hold that many people to because, you know, we did come from the same place and, you know, you were always, we're we're cut from the same cloth. We are. And you were always so cool to me. I always had an affinity for you as a person. So there was very little you could do to piss me off. (laughs) Good. I'm very glad because I probably would have pissed off anybody else. Um, But yeah, thank you very much for, for doing this. It's super amazing. Um, And I will send you, uh, like I said, we're going to do these three singles soon. The first of the three, I think you will like it very, very much because um, it has a lot more hardcore feeling to it (laughs) because of where it is in the story. This is the bad guy's theme, essentially, Mm -hmm. them finding out that the good guys killed one of their the seven sisters, which are supposed to be invincible. You can't, you can't just walk up and kill something like that. Well, this is their reaction to that. And it is, it is very 1997 or eight hardcore in some spots. And like, there's little touches in there. Hopefully you'll like it. And I'll send it to you as soon as I have it done. So you can listen. I can't wait to hear it. And just do me a favor that when the next record or cassette or whatever is ready to come out, just come back on with me so we could dive more into the music. Absolutely. Folks, that was Jalen Robinson. The song you're hearing right now is the brand new non-album track, the next single in this cycle of songs from Jalen. The Sisters 7. Please get over to Bandcamp or uh, just go to Bandcamp. How about that? And pay your dollar and get this phenomenal song. It is everything that she told me it would be and more. absolutely incredible so I'd like to thank you all for hanging in there and listen to me get a little loose Uh, Jalen was very professional Uh, I think toward the end she was holding the conversation together (laughs) and uh, for that I thank her and for the years of music and friendship I thank her so with all that being said she's been Jalen I've been Peter. You've been beautiful. From 333 AM Studios, this has been the Book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast. Take care of each other, everybody, and I'll see you again next week. This season's almost over. I'm going to take a month off and just enjoy thinking about what I'm going to do next season. Bye for now.